0: stuff podcasts
1: just a heads up this episode has a little bit of swearing in it this episode of what's wrong with you is sponsored by every human an online platform selling life-changing adaptive clothing footwear and lifestyle products it's the home of the ultimate shopping experience for people with disabilities Shop the range at everyhuman.com.au Sometimes I kind of forget that I'm disabled. I'll just be going about my day, but then something will happen and I stop and think, this wouldn't happen to me if I didn't use a wheelchair. I was at a boxing class recently. I usually go three or four times a week and the trainers are great. Shout out to Boxing Alley. They adapt the class so I can join in just like anyone else. But a few weeks ago, this lady came up to me. She said how cool it was to see me boxing and that I was really inspirational. Now, I know she meant well and had probably been wondering during the whole class, do I say something or not? But me? I was just thinking, hey, it's early on a Saturday morning. I think everyone here is inspirational. made me wonder how my experience in the world would be different if I wasn't a wheelchair user. Would I get approached by so many random strangers? And when people praised me for something trivial, would I feel patronised, or would I just feel appreciated? I'm Olivia Shivers. And I'm Rebecca Dubber and you're listening to What's Wrong With You, Stuff's podcast about disability and what it's like living in a world that's not designed for you.
2: In this show, we cover everything, childhood and parenting, religion and culture, dating and sex, all from the perspective of disabled people, like us.
1: Plus, we're determined to solve some of the big mysteries of living with disability, like why people get so angsty over mobility car parks. So Bex, I hope you're feeling inspired sitting next to me. After all, I am an inspirational boxer. Oh Olivia, you know you've always been my role model. Well, thank you. (laughs) Actually, I have another inspirational story for you. Again, from the gym. It was just a few days ago. I'd finished a boxing class and I was getting into my car. I'd closed the ramp and the back door with my remote control. I was sitting in the driver's seat about to drive off when this couple, they come up to my window and wave. They had these really cheesy smiles on their face and literally gave me a big thumbs up, like, "E! Oh, that's cringe. I know, I just laughed, though they probably didn't realise I was kind of laughing at them rather than with them.
2: I suppose they meant well. Isn't it funny how people don't realise that the wrong kind of encouragement can actually make us feel worse? I mean, being pigeonholed all the time actually starts to chip away at your own self-image. The way other people look at you, it really starts to affect the way you look at yourself. Yeah. So
1: that's what this episode is about. Identity and self-image. It's a
2: big, complicated subject.
1: Yeah, we're going to look at the labels that get attached to us. We hear about what masculinity means when you're a
2: wheelchair user. We find out what it's like to learn te when your voice synthesiser has an Australian accent. And we debate just how much money you should
1: be spending on shoes when you can't even walk. So much interesting material. Actually, we found this topic so interesting that we interviewed four guests instead of our usual one or two. Editing it down to a sensible length is going to be a nightmare, so let's just get on with it. Geneva Hakarai is a disability advocate and communications consultant, she often needs to explain herself to people who've jumped to some wrong conclusions. For this interview, we sent Geneva some of the questions in advance to give her time to prepare. Have a listen, and you'll see why.
3: My name is Geneva Heikure Otino. My iwe anapuhi antaapuri. I am 28 and I have lived in West Auckland all my life.
1: It's interesting listening to it um, pronounced a word! Still hasn't got quite quite gotten there yet, yeah. but we'll talk about <laughs> that. We'll ask you about that a bit later. <laughs> so um, I think I've told you the name of our podcast, so we'll ask you that interesting question. What's wrong with you?
3: At birth, I was diagnosed with a tetroid cerebral palsy which affected my limb movements and my ability to verbally articulate words. I am able to vocalize, but I cannot form words that are easily enough to be understood so I use a communication device to communicate. This method of communication has been so beneficial in my life in terms of providing me a voice in society. Ironically, it has helped me attain a communications degree. And now I am pursuing a Masters in Education. I use a tablet that has a specialized software installed on it. This system uses a symbol-based keyboard, making it easier for me to communicate efficiently. To be honest, I unconsciously chose this voice when I was given my first device 15 years ago. Over the years, it has just become part of my identity.
1: So, you're clicking a fast-forward button to do that?
3: Ah, cool. (laughs) That's pretty cool.
2: Does it have rewind? (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could rewind what I say sometimes
2: <laughs> I take that back Can you tell us about some of the misconceptions about being non-verbal?
3: Many people make an assumption that because I am non-verbal I must be mentally disabled There has been numerous situations Where people have spoken to me as if I am a child and as a 28-year-old woman, it is incredibly frustrating and belittling.
1: I think it is quite funny, some of the interactions you have with people. And I'll have Mm. a conversation with someone and they'll be so surprised that I can drive or something like that. And it's like, wow, have you met anyone in a wheelchair before? So how do you learn teneo
3: and while being non-verbal? Currently, I phonetically spell Tereo words into my device and attempt to make the word sound as close to its pronunciation as possible. However... The current voices that are available on speech-generated devices do an extremely poor job of converting to real and to intelligible speech. Mm-hmm. I can imagine that would be so
2: frustrating as well.
1: What's a um, Maori approach to
3: disability? <laughs> This is going to be a bit controversial and I know some people may disagree with me. Historically, how people with disabilities were viewed in Maori society was portrayed in myths and legends. It was only natural for Maori to embrace and include individuals with disabilities without hesitation or question. It is said that since the arrival of Europeans, The holistical thinking of Māori was challenged as the westernised approach of disability was based on individualistic ideologies. Unfortunately, this is still the case in today's society. One of the main values the Maori culture is inclusiveness.
1: One thing I want to ask, um, sorry, this is not a pre-planned question I just <laughs> thought of because I just remember at uni when we had marae trips and um, we made sure we went to a marae that was accessible or they put in a ramp or something like that and um, it's <laughs> customary to take your shoes off. As a wheelchair user... Mm. Should you take your shoes (gasps) off?
4: Does that that matter?
1: Because I think I remember someone at the Marai being like, oh, no, don't worry, you don't need to worry about it. But I was like, oh, but I want to because everyone else is doing it. Yeah.
3: (coughs) That's an interesting question. I think it's up to the individuals themselves, but I always take off my shoes out of respect.
1: Can I ask, how long did it take you to type the answers out?
3: It took me a couple of hours, but I typed everything on my laptop and transferred it onto my device. That's pretty cool. If I was to type everything directly on my device, it would probably take me all day.
1: (laughs) That's a very long podcast (laughs) episode. guest is Shakti Krishnan. He was born in Malaysia, grew up in Hamilton and now lives in Auckland. He has some really interesting things to say about how disability forced him to think about how society defines masculinity. Because it turns out that you don't have to be six foot tall and muscly and in possession
2: of two fully functioning legs to be a real man. What you also need to know about Shakti though is that he came to the studio wearing a woolly teddy bear jacket like, a big fluffy thing. A pretty bold fashion choice.
1: Which quickly led us onto the very
2: important topic of footwear.
1: <laughs> Your shoes are, like, way too expensive for someone who doesn't even walk. I can't spend no, money on the, expensive that's, that's shoes. that's the point.
0: That's, it's, like, more so of a flex irony? that way. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> for everyone else, they they're, like, longer. a dispensable item. That's so silly. No, I feel
2: silly. like that's a myth. I, like, I buy white sneakers and I cannot keep them white. Yeah, what kind of shoes are? What kind of shoes are you actually wearing? Can you? What? I don't
0: want to. Do I have to? Is it like a fashion?
1: Yeah, blog? I want to know because hmm. people can't see them on the um, podcast. They I'm look cool.
0: Yeezy three eighties.
1: I don't know. I, I'm not really a shoe person, but it sounds fancy. like they're like yeah. socks,
0: dude, and they got like big soles. So when I like kind of drag my feet all over the place, like they don't get hurt, which is quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Thank you.
1: They're very cool. They're like a bit glittery or something.
0: Thanks. Eyes I, I up here.
1: I, <laughs> <laughs> what's wrong with you, Sharky? What's
0: wrong with me? How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> I've got a list. What's, what's wrong with me? So I have spina bifida. Um, I was born with it. Um, I use a wheelchair to get around. How has your disability shaped your identity? It's hard to identify something like that because every single experience is like kind of... Affected by your disability, you know, even like from driving here, I got to plan my time out a little better so mm-hmm. I don't screw up and, you know, like leave my wheelchair somewhere <laughs> silly or something like that. You only rarely notice it when you compare it to other people or other able-bodied people, people with different abilities.
2: You're right. It's when you start talking to people who are able-bodied and they're like, oh, that's not normal or yeah, that's yeah. not how we do things. And-
0: yeah, totally. You have to conform. Socially, I think, a lot. Hmm. That affects your identity, I think. I think because I struggled with it when I was younger, when I was in my, like, more formative years. But, yeah, it takes a lot of, um, like, growth and understanding to, like, get to a place where I think you are okay identifying that way and then showing that to everyone else.
1: For me, I mean, it's something I don't like to admit, but I think... I probably still have a little bit of insecurity the fact that I use a wheelchair because I'm super self aware mm-hmm. of stereotypes associated with disability. Mm, yeah. And being a wheelchair user um and the stories we see about them, that's probably one of the reasons maybe I'm a bit of a overachiever and mm. a bit of a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Um because I am so aware, so I try to compensate mm-hmm. for what people assume is my lack mm. in a way. I guess, like, for me, like, as a young woman, I've never felt like being in a wheelchair is super feminine because you've got, like, all this metal around you mm-hmm. and, you know, I, I, traditionally women are meant to be, like, graceful and elegant and I feel like the wheelchair is <laughs> the furthest away from that. I guess when it comes to, like, you, Shakti, and um, masculinity, like,
0: what what are your thoughts around that? I think it can be really hard to be, like, a masculine person, like disabled person in like, in ableist society. I think traditionally, and I'm not saying this is the right way for it to be, but men are seen as like dominant, women are seen as submissive. Unfortunately, when you're in a wheelchair, you are always playing a submissive role. You are always going to be passive. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. You're like a social group. You're always going to have to play a passive role. And that sucks. And as a man, it can be very emasculating to never have an opportunity to be seen as dominant or masculine in a traditional sense. Mm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So how do you um, like come to terms with that, or reconcile yeah, it, really or tough. you know, like, might I, think
0: I noticed it a lot when I went on dates in uni, and you know, you're playing this like theater of like dating, and you have to like, you know, you're checking each other out, and you're trying to like figure things out. And it's very hard to come across as, like, a manly man. You know, you go up to the checkout counter, you know, to go buy your drinks or something. You can't reach the counter. You look so silly and small. You, look, you, look, you don't feel like a man who can take care of a woman, which is what we're sold to in this, like, traditional, like, mm. kind of thing. Why, tol, why does everyone, everyone listen to Tall Dudes? What's up with that? It's like… Listening to tall people. Yeah, what's up with that? Mm. Like, yeah, man, I'm always looking up at people. I hate it.
1: So do you prefer a uh, standing person to, it uh, <laughs> sounds awful, come
0: down Within to the bow, same level? bow for me. Oh, oh, bow. <laughs> <laughs> no, because in a social context, that's kind of weird, right? Ideally, you'd want to be talking to someone at eye level, sitting down at a table or something like that, where it's socially appropriate in our current climate (laughs) so there needs to be like i don't know some social accessibility to be thought around it and i think that's that's why i'm super loud i gotta project my voice i want those guys in the clouds to hear me you know like Mm -hmm. it's real hard Mm -hmm. but i'm very social and i like engaging with people Mm. so it can really upset me when i can't physically engage with people i never got to play things like touch rugby or like contact sports and like I guess a part of me thought that sucked because people always saw me as like fragile mm. or like you know incapable like, fra- like very delicate and gentle so people wouldn't like I wanted I wanted some of that like rough and tumble I guess you know like I wanted to be treated more like other people mm. I don't like being coddled I remember I went on like on a school trip and like the older boys were like hazing all the younger boys and it didn't haze me and I got real <laughs> upset about it you wanted to be because I wanted to be hazed like everyone <laughs> but they didn't let me get hazed because they were too scared of like beating up the disabled guy which I get like fair it looks really bad but but, like gentle I don't know something man come on like yeah but I guess they could have
1: adapted they could have adapted
0: you gotta yeah accessible hazing (laughs) (laughs) but I think when it comes down to it it's just like really being a part of that social group and like feeling like you are you're like included like in all aspects of it socially not like physically Doesn't matter if you're just there, like, you gotta be, like, with everyone.
1: So, how have you redefined masculinity for you and your identity and living with a disability?
0: Movements within feminism that have made us start talking about toxic masculinity have really helped um, redefine masculinity in general because we can understand, like, the toxic traits of masculinity that are more or less bad for everyone. I think lad culture in New Zealand has a lot of that toxic masculinity, and that sucks. And when you want to conform to it, it can suck a lot. Um, So I think understanding that masculinity doesn't have to have a lot of the toxic traits that you'd usually associate with it has really helped me as a disabled person um, understand that I'm not less of a man because I don't like be aggressive with people. Like I'm not less of a man because I don't physically take up so much space. You know, there are other ways to, I don't know, prove your masculinity or feel comfortable within your masculinity. There are so many ways of expressing yourself.
1: One thing I want to talk about, the comment of you're too young to be disabled, or
2: you're too pretty heck? to be disabled. I've never yeah. heard
0: those things. I'm exactly <laughs> as disabled as people think I should be.
2: <laughs> those those situations where I've always had someone make a comment, or oh, you're you're too young or oh, you're too pretty to be disabled, have often come from people trying to harass me for parking in a mobility park. You can't see my wheelchair because it's sitting on like my passenger seat. So people just like they look at me and they're like, She can't be disabled. So they come up and they will knock on the window, or they will dead steer me too pretty, well, or you don't look disabled. That's
0: never, that's wild. That's never happened. So to how me. do you
1: look? How do we look more disabled?
0: Well, like <laughs> I just, I, I think I'm very confident when I'm parking in a disabled place.
1: But, I mean, this has happened to me. Um, just going about my day, going to the supermarket, parked in a disabled car park, mm. and I had two police officers. What? Knock on my window. Yeah, two police officers tell mm. me that. I was parked in a disabled car park, and I was like, "Yeah, I well, know." I just like, look more look, disabled than you guys? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. What's going on? But then I was like, "Like, look, look in the window. Like, there's a wheelchair like sitting there." Yeah, and yeah. then they looked on the windscreen and then mm. saw my mobility permit. I'm like, "Oh, okay." But it takes me like five minutes to oh, get out I'll of my car. So they had walked away by then. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I just... You'll, so yeah. not, as,
2: but not as bad as the police officers, but I was in a more car park once, parked in a mobility park. I was, like, five minutes early, so I was just, like, quickly clearing some emails before I got out. Had my permit up and everything, and this parking warden comes over and knocks on my window. So I, like, open my door, and I'm like, y- can I help you? And he's like, this is a mobility park. And I'm like, yeah, I know. And I pointed to my sticker, and he goes but this park is for disabled people. And I'm like, yeah, I am disabled. And he's like, are you? That's wild. And I was like... But do you not have the card there? No, the card was up. Then what is their problem? No, he like did not But me sitting in my car. Because I thought like
0: the the general consensus now is that people have invisible disabilities or not very visible disabilities. So like you just usually don't ask anyway.
2: So I pointed to my wheelchair in the back and I'm like, there's a fucking wheelchair in there. Like, go away.
0: I have a good story. I remember um, I was I was driving back from my mate's house once um, and it was kind of late at night. Mm. And I was by myself. I was driving back. I was on my restricted still, so probably naughty. But I remember some guy was like behind me and I was like turning left at an intersection or something like that. And he kind of just got like real like weird at me. And I remember like looking back and he was like super weird. Like I turned, tailgating you. Yeah, yeah, tailgating yeah. me. And like... Um, I think like there was it's like a weird intersection, and then like I had to wait till I turn and stuff, and he just wasn't happy with me waiting. So he freaking swerved swerved the middle of the road, like like blocking my car, mm. and it was the first time as a as a man that I was in fear for my life because oh. I was like, oh shit, I don't have a friend next to me. I if this dude wants to I'm <laughs> fucked. Like I'm fully fucked. So he, he gets out of the car, mm. like he walks up to me. He's like a very intimidating. Large looking guy and I'm like oh I'm dying tonight and I roll I don't know why I rolled my window down that was so <laughs> stupid right and he was just like what the what, what the fuck did you do why you you know like and he's just going at me he looked mm-hmm. like he was like you know pretty like messed up mm-hmm. something and um, I remember I was just like I was just like I was just looking at him with my hands in the window I was like oh my god oh my god oh my god and I was just like ho- my my wheelchair was in the in the passenger seat and I was just hoping I was just waiting for him mm-hmm. to see the wheelchair essentially, to understand yeah. that I'm not an able-bodied guy who can get up and have a fight with mm. you right now, right? And he does. He looks at the wheelchair. He says, fuck you, and walks off. And I was oh. like, oh, my god!" Because he used the wheelchair. That, because of my wheelchair. Uh, oh. Bless the Lord. <laughs> Thank you. My Lord. Oh. But it was really scary as like a guy, I guess, yeah. because hmm. he doesn't know that I'm disabled at that moment and he was going to fight me. He was like, he had his hands like he was coming up to my window, he had his hand on the, on, on the handle. I was like, far out. Terrifying man.
1: Everyone has days when they struggle to fully embrace their body. It's totally normal to feel just a little bit out of place sometimes. Style is something that has always helped me gain back my confidence. But sometimes, the jeans that make you feel great or the smoky eye look that makes you feel fierce are tricky to pull off. Brushes are sometimes hard to grip, and buttons on denim jeans can be like a fight to the last woman standing, or sitting in my case. This is where every human comes in and saves the day, by giving you access to accessible lifestyle products and making sure that outfits that give you confidence are also functional for your needs. Everyone deserves to get dressed and live life with dignity, and it shouldn't feel like a hassle to get ready. Nobody should feel bad about asking for help when they need it, but there are also times when you want to get dressed or do a task yourself. Every human helps you grasp a hold of your independence, whatever that looks like for you, with their range of accessible garments, footwear and lifestyle products. If you give someone the right pair of shoes, they can conquer the world. In a disabled person's case, when we are equipped with clothing, shoes gadgets, and lifestyle products designed for our success, disabled people are able to conquer the daily barriers of navigating a world not designed for us. With every human, you can do life and style in a way
2: that works for your needs. Now, most of our podcast guests were born disabled, and like us, Olivia, it's all they've ever known. But it's not like that for our
1: next guest... Chelsea Pitta is 21 and she's studying business. She was born and raised in Rotorua and her whakapapa links back to Ngāti Faritoa and Ngāti Rangatihi. Three years ago, she had an accident. She's now paralysed from the waist down. So walking is something that she was still doing really quite recently. That sudden shift from non-disabled person to disabled person forced Chelsea to reassess who she was and even what words to use to describe herself. But I started off by asking her a question that, to be honest, I've been putting off asking a non-disabled person because sometimes it's hard to be confronted with the reality of what you're supposedly missing out on as a disabled person. Is walking that great? Oh, yeah. If you could go back, what would you do?
5: Honestly, I would go back. I would take the lessons I've learned, but I would go back just because I miss the feeling of grass and sand and I miss taking my nieces on walks to the park and things like that. But in a way, I still get to do all those things. It's just different. You know, my wheelchair is now my new set of legs, so I'm not really missing out on anything. How did you sustain a
1: spinal cord injury?
5: Um, it was from a swimming accident, uh, swimming with my family. We were jumping into the lake and because of the height of the jump and the impact of the water, um, I ended up breaking my back and that ended up pushing into my spinal cord. That must have been pretty traumatic. I remember it, but I think I was so in shock that I didn't quite believe it and because I didn't quite understand it either, it was just the, it happened and that's it. When
1: you first had your injury... Was your goal to
5: walk again? Um, my goal was to walk again, but it's because I didn't quite understand it of like how severe my injury was that I didn't quite get that it's not like you're going to wake up the next day and feel your legs automatically again. Um, I think what didn't help was that I did have partial feelings, so I'm thinking, oh, maybe the rest of it will come back eventually. Um, but, yeah, my goal was to walk again
1: like, a big thing to process at such yeah. a young age.
5: especially at 18, when you're in that transition age of, like, your whole life is about to take on a new journey, it was really difficult to wrap my head in, like, this is my new change and this is the new journey that I'm about to go on. So my mum was a caregiver for a trust. I think I was around four, and she would, like, take me to work with her. So for me, when I had my disability... Didn't feel any different. Like, obviously I was the one experiencing it, but because I was surrounded by the disability community at a young age, kind of felt normal to me, seeing people with different disabilities
2: and people without disabilities. I find your perspective on it really refreshing because I think so often, you know, the patronising comments that you get in public is like, you know, I'd rather die than, you know, have to use a wheelchair or, you know, I would be so depressed if, you know, I had your life sort of thing. And yeah. to hear, you know, you say, that, you know, that's just part of who I am. Like, I roll now, I don't walk.
5: I mean, don't get me wrong, I did have, go through that phase of being, like, anxious and sad and, like, I guess grieving my old life. Mm-hmm. Um But at the end of it, like, it is what it is. Like, I can't change it. Um, So you may as well just accept it and move on and, you know, just go with it.
2: So, Olivia, how did you feel when Chelsea said that walking was really great? It did
1: shake me a bit because... I genuinely do believe I'm living my best life as a wheelchair user and it kind of disrupted that and to be honest, I think I told you afterwards, it did put me in a bit of a weird mood after that interview, but I'm
2: really glad she felt like she could be honest with us. Yeah, I know what you mean, but I felt like I could relate to her. My swimming career ended early because of an overuse injury and I mean, I love my life now post-swimming, but if I could flick a switch and undo the damage so that I could have a shot at going to the Paralympics again, part of me would say yes to that in a heartbeat. Our fourth and final guest is Mamie Rose MacDonald. She's 21, lives in Auckland and is studying tourism. Two years ago, she got involved with the modelling agency run by myself and our podcast producer, Grace Stratton. By an amazing chain of events, her photo ended up on the Vogue Italia website. For
1: someone who faces a lot of inaccurate assumptions from strangers, it was an incredible validation of the self-image Mamie had always felt, that she's beautiful and confident in who she is. When she came in for the
4: interview, we started by asking about her disability. I was born with Williams Syndrome which means that I am also missing my seventh chromosome in my DNA and I also have some heart problems that comes along with William's syndrome. So, yeah, and also facial features are a very prominent thing when it comes to William's syndrome. Do you mind describing what those facial features are? We have a lot of teeth. Our cheekbones are very sharp. I guess, like, when you look at me, you can't go, oh, she has a disability, because my disability isn't physical. It's more learning-wise. So just those things of having to try extra hard to to qualify and get all the things that I really want.
1: Do you know where um, Williams syndrome originated? Do you know Mr or Mrs
4: Williams? So Williams syndrome was diagnosed by a doctor called Mr Williams. And um, odd story. He actually one day disappeared. Yeah, like oddly enough, vanished. Think of it as a disability that wasn't supposed to be discovered.
2: So he went missing like after he published. Yeah, Williams like Syndrome. Yeah, like literally. So like. It so was, someone out there did
4: not want him to say to literally be like, there's this disability. Da, da, da. Like, he literally, his bag was left at um, a um, airport. Uh, I'm sorry to, if you're still alive now. I'm sorry for exposing your secret. He was like, <laughs> what if pixies are real then?
2: Yeah. Because I look like
4: a pixie. <laughs> Mr. Williams, I hope you're OK. So we'll
1: get back to Mamie's interview in a second. But after what she told us, I felt I should find out a bit more about this Mr. Williams. And it turns out he's a New Zealander. Mr. Williams' full name is John Cyprian Phipps Williams, and he was born in 1922. While working at Auckland Hospital and Greenland Hospital, he started taking notes on patients who had those same features Mamie talked about, such as the pixie-like face, heart problems, and learning difficulties. He published a paper about it in 1961. His disappearance still remains a bit of a mystery, but according to Volume 41 of the Paediatric Radiology Journal, while in London, he met up with another well-known Kiwi, the poet and author Janet Frame, and they began a relationship. He proposed, but then she ran away, not wanting to get married. After that, little is known about Mr. Williams' whereabouts. Interpol actually tried and then failed to find him, And in 1988, he was declared a missing person, presumed to be dead, by the High Court of New Zealand. So, yeah, we may never know what happened to Mr Williams, but hey, at least he got some important work done before disappearing.
4: Um, My dad is Māori, and um, he grew up in Blenheim, and we have a place called the Warau Pa, which is this beautiful lake, and um, we have a marae there, and... Sometimes we go down there and we go to tangis and things. And, yeah, um, my journey was Māoridom. My grandfather didn't speak Māori, so my dad didn't speak Māori. And so I grew up not speaking Māori till later in life. But, you know, I felt like a sense of, like, identity loss, you know. I was like, okay, so what cultures am I? So cool to find out about my culture and... I am a member of the B in the LGBTQ. B stands for bisexual. Because I realised, oh, I like boys, but I also like girls. Also, with gender identity, I'm gender non-conforming. So, like, when it comes to buying clothes, I don't care whether it's on the women's or the men's. I love I love exploring things, and I think it's, yeah, it's really important. So there's another part of your culture as well. You're part yes. Italian. Yes, so my great, great Great, 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 <laughs> great, great grandfather came from Bari in um, Italy. And so he travelled here and he had 10 children. And obviously from the 10 children, I was, I was born to the world and yeah. And so the thing was Vogatalia, So I did a photo shoot with Karen Bitson-Waller who does photographs with Karen Walker. And so she asked me if you could achieve anything from the photo shoot, what would you like to achieve? And I was like, I would love to be in Vogue Italia. And then all of a sudden I was in middle class and then I went online and I saw that photo and it was from Vogue Italia. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like that is just so crazy. So what did that do for your confidence? Really built it up like Hmm. massively. So I guess
1: coming off you having such a positive empowering experience through Italia, Bex and I have also um done some modelling at New Zealand Fashion Week. We were some of the first, I think if not the first, were to users as models in Fashion a mainstream. In Zealand, you yeah. know, mainstream show. And um I think for me, I had I think I kinda had this epiphany moment actually after fashion week because the whole day is very busy. You're, like, Mm. getting straight there, do hair and makeup. You're, like, changing outfits and it's quite overwhelming. Um, But I was looking back through my phone and some of my photos. One of the girls who was helping me dress Mm. took a photo of the back of my dress and there was, like, these knotted... Um, this knotted design on the back of it. And then I noticed my scoliosis scar. So Mm. I had scoliosis surgery when I was 13 to fix my crooked spine. And I used to be so self-conscious of that scar at this Fashion Week show. I almost forgot about this scar, but it was like fully on show, like at Fashion Week and thinking how, wow, all these aspects of me, like my scar, my wheelchair were actually like fully embraced and seen as a point of difference is something that was desired where you don't usually normally see that in mainstream shows.
2: So that was um, such an empowering experience for me. Mm, I think for me, the the scary empowering moment for me for Fashion Week was I was involved in um, a runway show. Um, and I remember going to the fitting and they were picking the outfits and they decided that they wanted me to model jockey. And I was just like, okay. You know, I've had so many surgeries in my life as well. Um, You know, I have a massive scar that goes from like halfway down my abdomen. And, you know, it's not something that you would expect to see on someone modeling underwear on the runway. But the photos pop up every now and again on social media and they get shared. And I just I'm so proud of those images and I'm so proud that, you know, they gave me that opportunity and it was embraced by everyone to see a different body modelling underwear on the runway.
4: So one day I was with my mum at dinner and she said, if I gave you a million dollars and I asked you to take your disability away, would you do it? And I said, I would not take it away for any money. I mean, why go through all the struggle that I've had to be through just to get the struggle taken away from me and have to relearn things again. You know, I think it's really important that we accept who we are. People have sometimes asked me, like,
1: Mm. if you could take a pill and you wouldn't be disabled anymore, would you take it? And it's such a complex question Mm. because it's not just like, oh, yeah, I can walk now. It's... It's, like, all the experiences that I've had in my life that have brought me to where I am today. Like, I wouldn't know anyone in this room if it wasn't for my disability. Mm. And I don't think I could bear the thought of not knowing you guys if that meant that I could walk. And I don't think it's, for me, it's not worth that payoff. Just because if I could walk, life would be a bit easier. I could reach
2: stuff on the top shelf at the supermarket. But I don't think it would make my life richer. I think that that one comes from the misconception that, like, disability is, you know, this burden and it's something to be pitied. And, you know, I guess there are definitely struggles with having a disability when it comes to things like medical appointments and living in a world that's not made for you. Um, But I think everyone has struggles in their life and it's just, I guess, how you choose to look at your struggles and... You know, you could take the magic pill and be able-bodied, but you're still, you're still going to have things in life that piss you off, that go wrong, um, things that happen. So I just think it's all about your perception and your perspective. And I think that even though my disability is something that might be looked down on by, you know, the general public and a, a, all the able-bodied people out there, to me I think it's given me so much more than it's ever taken away. I know my worth. And I
4: see myself as a wonderful, amazing human being. And I think it's, you know, people ask me, how do you, like sometimes I'll stand in the mirror and I'll just see me with my underwear on. And I'll go, you're amazing. You know, like it's like some people actually just need to get in front of a mirror and go, you're amazing in your underwear. I know that sounds odd, but like I think that when you start to feel a lot of confidence with yourself and accepting your body type and everything about you, Yeah, it just comes, again, it comes back to acceptance.
1: So that wraps up this episode. Next week, I've had, like, a random stranger come up to me in, like, a public bathroom
2: ask me if I can have sex.
3: I wish that I was brave enough to be like, why are you
2: propositioning <laughs> me? And I was like, um, is this guy coming back? <laughs> have I just been left at the top of these stairs? Has he realised that dating a girl in a wheelchair is too hard and he's just, like, gapped it?
1: This podcast was made with the support of New Zealand On Air. Thank you to our guests, Mamie Rose McDonald, Chelsea Pitter, Geneva Hakarai and Shakti Krishnan as well as Adam Dudding, Carol Hirschfeld, Eugene Bingham, and Grace Stratton. This episode was sponsored by Every Human, an online platform selling life-changing adaptive clothing, footwear, and lifestyle products. It's the home of the ultimate shopping experience for people with disabilities. Shop the range at everyhuman.com.au